Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 605th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at beyondthe90.substack.com and, of course, Red Bull News Network on the New York Red Bulls. But as always, this show is dedicated to the game here in the United States. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. And I apologize for my technical difficulties last night, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, it's really difficult when one of the components that makes your show go is just not having a night to give you the access to the switchboard. So once again, I apologize to all of you for not having a show last night. But I want to thank my guests, of course, uh, who were able to record with me, uh, and uh, we will play those recordings after my introduction monologue here as we get ready for this show. And, of course, we got to talk about what has just happened again over at D.C. United. D.C. United the uh, the pillar of MLS 1.0, the original glamour club, you might say, the, the original trophy club, you can say, uh, winning four MLS Cup championships three out of the first four years in Major League Soccer under Bruce Arena, under many, many... Other managers, of course, Peter Novak, Tommy Sohn, uh, as well as Ray Hudson, Ben Olsen, with two U.S. Open Cup championships, one or two supporter shields, and of course, the Inter-America Cup, uh, which was in its last year before, of course, the proposed possibility of it coming back between CONCACAF and CONMEBOL, when D.C. United defeated Vasco da Gama in a two-match aggregate. And now, now, more coaches coming in, more coaches going out. Wayne Rooney, the England international and former Everton, Manchester United, and Derby County superstar who did transfer to D.C. United as a player, Sadly, for only a year and a half, went back to England, then came back to D.C. to be a manager after his time at Derby County. Now goes back to England and managing Birmingham City. Both sides agree to part ways, whether it be both sides, whether it be Wayne Rooney deciding to go back to England to manage or DC United basically saying, we're done with you, you can move on. However it happened, once again, for DC United and their supporters, it is another, another moment in their long history of early success into mediocrity and another manager, head coach, that has said goodbye to the District of Columbia in the capital of the United States. I mean, sure, it was a great start for them, and unfortunately it fizzled. And even though they will not be playing in the final week of the league season because 
We have 29 teams. Someone's going to be playing a, a week short. That was DC United, ladies and gentlemen. And all you can say is once again ownership of this historic club. Once again, ownership is going to go through another coaching search and you wonder how tiresome it is going to be when Audi Field will no longer be full outside of the Screaming Eagles and the Barra Brava. We all know the dedicated supporters of DC United will be there every single match in, match out. But what does that do for the rest of the soccer fans that want to go to DC United matches? I'll tell you right now, not looking good. I will tell you right now, it is not fun. Because no matter how much you will go into the history books of said club, of the club that you support, and all of the abundance of riches and the, the amount of championships that they have won when this league got started, where is it now? Is the talent there? Are they building their academy very well to bring up talented players? Are they bringing in talented players? Do I think they are? I I think there's a good talent on the roster. Can they put it together? I think there's a possibility they can put it together. But the direction right now, it's at the point where I don't know. It's at the point where, where is ownership going with this? What are they doing? Why hasn't it worked up till now? Why isn't it working? Because when DC United had a good backline, not great, but a good backline, they had Paul Ariola, Luciano Acosta at that time, All they needed was another piece to the puzzle. And when Wayne Rooney came to D.C. United, I had to sit back and watch and wait if this partnership could become something. And in that summer transfer window, 2000, And 18, when Wayne Rooney wore the black and red of D.C. United and magic started happening, I said to myself, I think D.C.'s back. I think D.C. United is back. I sat there. Traveling down to Audi Field for that early Sunday afternooner at Audi Field in Washington, D.C. The match was on ESPN against the New York Red Bulls. It was Paul Ariola, Wayne Rooney, Luciano Acosta that would continue to put D.C. United in the lead. But Bradley Wright Phillips putting the club on his back getting a hat trick, and even though it was a draw, it was the most thrilling 3-3 draw you have ever seen. It was spectacular. But that match gave me the confidence to say, I cannot tell you that DC stinks anymore. Uh, We got something here that's going to be fantastic. We got something here that's going to be pretty damn good for the next couple of years, And at the same time, at the same time, I thought DC United was going to be in the middle of the pack to hunt, not just to be into a playoff spot, but maybe be a contender for at least attempting to reach as far as they could 
to the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe an appearance in an MLS Cup Final because of what Wayne Rooney brought in. But unfortunately, it all crumbled apart. It all fell apart. Everything came unglued. And it wasn't just because Luciano Acosta wanted to leave D.C. and go to Europe. Unfortunately, the truth coming out that Wayne Rooney's wife wanted him to go back to England. And, of course, Paul Ariola got traded away or transferred away to FC Dallas. And even though it was great seeing Christian Benteke being on D.C. right now, and he's done some wonderful things for them, and they are building some pretty good players in their academy, but the truth of the matter is this. D.C. United is not what they are. That little glimmer of hope for D.C. United died after a year and a half of unbelievable soccer. And even when the match against Orlando City, where Wayne Rooney hustled all the way back to the center field stripe, sent a long-distance ball all the way to the Orlando net in front of the Screaming Eagles and the Barra Brava, and it was Acosta that leapt in the air and headed it in. The magical way they pulled out a victory in second-half stoppage time, I thought, there it is. There it is, folks. DC's back. Not anymore. It was the quickest birth and death I have ever seen in my life. And with the Wayne Rooney experiment for a year and a half as the head coach, it was the quickest birth and death of hope I've ever as well on a second chance. I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to tell you over at our nation's capital, but this is something that has been very very distraught if you are a DC United supporter because now you got to go back into the coaching pool and see who is available now I don't know if any of the assistants will get an opportunity I don't know if anyone inside the academy will get an opportunity I do not know at this point in time, any rumors of anyone wanting the job? Because I'm telling you right now, normally, that would be the best coaching hire to have, or at least the best place to be a coach if you are going to manage DC United. But let's be honest with ourselves here. It's not about the players that's wrong. It's not about the supporters that's wrong. It's not about the atmosphere that is poor at Audi Field. Right now, it's ownership. I don't know what ownership is going to do. I don't know what they're going to try and do. I don't know who they're going to bring over. Because right now, I, and I really don't want to say it, but right now from the outside looking in, it this is a massive failure. You can't keep a head coach. After the long tenure of Ben Olsen, and you kept with him for the many, many years just to hang on to the old glory days of the club, and you burned him out, and then you try to bring in some new people, and they haven't worked or if you had someone that was working and you threw him out anyway, or maybe he wanted to leave anyway, Wayne Rooney, we don't know how it happened. But he's now back in England managing Birmingham City. There are plenty of questions right now with DC United. And all I can say is until they truly get back on the map, I have no clue what they're going to do. And right now, I don't think they have a clue themselves what they are going to do. So we'll wait and see what happens, and um, we will find out down the road during the off season 
if DC United will bring in someone new or someone that will be new to the position from within. Uh, and once again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the Four Seasons Fire American Soccer Show. My first guest, of course, recorded uh, him last night when I was not able to access my uh, switchboard because my Skype was not working. Uh, he is one of the hosts of Football Miami TV, and this is Peter Brown as he discusses the insane ticket price hikes for the season ticket holders of Inter-Miami supporters. And here is that interview right now. Daniel Feuerstein. Daniel Feuerstein here, and welcome back to the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I had my guest on the last time as Inter-Miami unfortunately fell in the U.S. Open Cup final, but he's back to talk about something very alarming and honestly very shocking what the Inter-Miami Football Club is doing with their season ticket holders. Joining me right now from Football Miami TV, once again, it's Peter Brown. Peter, welcome back, and how are you? Hi, doing great. That's great to hear. Peter, um, you know, Inter-Miami's only been around for a very short period of time, already finding success, not just transferring Lionel Messi to the club, but winning that League's Cup, making it to the uh, Open Cup final, and being a finalist, but now something alarming is going on with the club and season ticket holders of that club. And please inform us why this is going on and why they're doing it. Well, why is it's I think quite simple. It's the messy tax. Uh, so our price, you know, our season tickets have uh, doubled. I think in the least, in some cases, tripled. Uh, you know, across the board. So you know that you know we all knew that. When you get uh, Lionel Messi, your prices are going to go up. That's a, that's a no-brainer. It's expected. I think a lot of us thought 30, maybe 50% increases. But when you see uh, uh, prices tripling, it does become quite alarming. But, you know, it's, there's so many things to talk about in this as far as, you know, is it the right decision? Is, you know, what happens when Messi's gone? And there's so many different things to go down uh, with this conversation. But it just seems too fast, there's got to be other ways to recoup their money uh, with their, you know, uh, spending money on, on Lionel Messi. But uh, so far, their, their choice, uh, what they've chosen to do is tax the fans uh, dramatically. No, they really have. And that's really disheartening to hear that. And I mean, I think we should all understand, even the masses should understand. Look, it's great to have such a world-class footballer like Lionel Messi, obviously the, the modern-day messiah, as you might, we're all going to say, obviously. But, I mean, as you said, this, this contract is not long-term. This is not a 10-year deal. He's only going to be here for, what, another two to three years so far? I mean, after everything that happened with this half year, or you want to say a quarter year, whatever you want to call it, um... I just think it's outrageous that they're asking you to basically not only cut off your arms and your legs and maybe parts of your brain, but, you know, sell your houses and your cars as well. Or in my co-host, Uncle Ed, his kidney. He's he's uh, offering up his kidney so that he can buy his visa tickets uh, next year. You know, just to give you an idea, my, I have two seats on the east side. Uh, so the west side is a little more your luxury side. That's where they have some more, uh, you know, benefits like some free food and free uh, beer and wine and things like that. But on my side, you know, it's on the east. I'm, I sit about the 40-yard line, so pretty good seats, uh, a little bit high, but it's a small stadium, so you're never too high. I have two tickets. My tickets last year, this year, were $1,444 for two tickets. You might say, well, that's a great deal, and maybe it is. But they're now, in 2024, they're going up to $3,910. That's a 171% increase. I, uh, have, I know of other people that their prices went from 6000 so they already were paying a hefty amount, to $16,000 uh, know, in, in their season tickets. That is just crazy kind of money. So what they're doing is they're pricing out the, the you know the, the uh, families in a lot of ways are pricing out you know the college kids soccer is and, and MLS is really trying to gear themselves to that millennial or even 
uh, you know, younger group, my daughter's uh, age group, or the 19-year-olds, and, and trying to really get to that age group. Well, those people can't afford these ticket prices. Your college kid cannot afford this. And then the single-day tickets are going to be through the roof because they're all going to be, you know, uh, resale tickets that are just going to go nuts. So you're really targeting a certain clientele. You're targeting the upper class uh, people that will they come back after those two years? He's got two more years on his contract. He'll be here through 2025 at the minimum with an extra year if he wants to stay. What are they going to do when, when he leaves? I mean, at this point, what they're doing is they're setting themselves up. They have to find the next Messi. And we all know there is not another Messi, but the next best available. They've got to fill his shoes if they want to continue these kind of prices. And you have to imagine they're only going to go up once they build their stadium in Miami at Miami Freedom Park. That's the problem right there, and I agree with you, because who's going to be the next great footballer to come out of Europe or even out of South America to who wants to be in Miami and who also wants to be in MLS? Because if we can be honest with ourselves here, Peter, the world market has now changed with what the Saudis have done with okay. the amount of money that they have dropped for players like Cristiano Ronaldo like Neymar, and so many other European and South American footballers that are going over there. And while I understand, look, I don't think the Saudi league is a great league, but, you know, they're very wealthy over there, and they're going to find a way to, you know, whoever you thought might come to MLS will go to the Middle East and play for this, you know, for the, for the Saudi league. Yeah, and the expectations are just so much higher now here. It's, you know... Earlier in the year, we lose a lot of games, right? We, 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 we're not a good team. Clearly, we're out of the playoffs. We dug ourselves in a hole that even Messi couldn't get us out of. So, you know, but you went to the games. You had fun. Even though you're maybe a little sad that you lost, you, you walk away with a positive attitude because you're like, well, I had a great night. It was a fun night out, you know, and I got to see soccer. I got to see some great players. I got to see my team. Great. I'm happy even though. At least that's how I felt walking out. I never took the losses too, too hard because I'm enjoying my time. Look, a lot of us fans down here, some of us, a, a select few of us, worked so hard behind the scenes to do whatever we could as fans to bring stock, uh, MLS back to, to South Florida. And so, you know, they've got us over a barrel. We're going to renew. We have to, right? We worked too hard to get to this point to just say, forget it. I'm, I'm just going to watch it on Apple TV. But those expectations now, I'm expecting to win every game. You're charging me those kind of prices. I expect a much, much better product. And not just on the field. The amenities at the stadium need to be that of that equal the price that you're charging. You know, in those west side tickets that I mentioned that are 16000 or above, you know, you get free food and you get some free beer and wine, and that's great. And I sat over there. I've got some friends that have hooked me up. And the food's good. It's great. It's fine. But it is not $16,000 worth of food. It needs to raise the level. But not only of that West, those of us that are in the East, those that are in the North or the South stands are that your supporters, they need to up the level of, of food, beverage, of hospitality, because that's the expectation when you start charging $4,000 for two tickets. And, and let's also admit this as well. This is not the Bernabeu. This is not the Camp Nou. This is not Old Trafford. This is not the Emirates. This is not the Allianz Stadium in Munich. You know, I mean, no offense. I mean, this is DRV PNK Stadium. And it's supposed to be the home of Inter Miami's next pro side in, in you know, in, in CF Fort Lauderdale. And until... The new stadium gets built. I mean, it's outrageous to ask for that amount of money for, as you said, the families that want to take their kids to watch one of the greatest players and, of course, their team to be out there. And for Messi, it's a short period of time. Yeah, and I, the, 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 one of the differences, you mentioned those great stadiums. Apparently, it's cheaper to go see some of those games. At some of those stadiums, it is cheaper to go see than it is uh, Inter-Miami, which is nuts. Apparently, to go to, to see Barcelona, uh, cheaper to see a lot of, uh, of Premier League teams than it is to see, uh, you know, Inter Miami at a, an Erector Set Stadium. Look, I'm proud of our little stadium, 
Uh, it, it was built in record time. It was always intended to be a temporary stadium, and for what it is, it's great. But the prices don't necessarily reflect the amenities at the stadium and, and the, the erector set stadium. You know, I think if they wanted to raise prices, I get it, but do it incrementally over several years. It doesn't hurt as much. It's not as much sticker shock. It's not saying, you know, screw you to to your diehard fans. You know, you could you, – there's different ways of doing it. They could have had a, a much greater discount for renewals than it is for, say, new season tickets. Hit the people that are new. All your people that are jumping on board just because of Messi, you hit them with a Messi tax and maybe give uh, a, a smaller increase to those people that are choosing to renew those, especially people that have been with you since day one. It, you know, it, there's just so many different ways. And all, there's so many other ways for them to make money besides taxing the fans. They're apparently getting ready to go, uh, in November to go on a Asian tour. You know they're going to make a boatload of money there. So there's just so many other avenues for them to choose. And, and you know, Jorge Mas, we put him up on a pedestal, the owner of Inter Miami. We put him up on a pedestal because he, if it wasn't for him, this team would not exist because it, they were about to pull the plug. It was not happening. Uh, but he came in, local ownership made it happen. He calls the supporters and the, everybody La Familia. We need to get take him off that pedestal and realize we are not his family. He's looking out for his family, his children, and his well-being. And that's great. It's a business, and I get it. But let's not fool ourselves and think we are all family because it's not. It's purely a business, and he's looking after the bottom line. And I can understand some of that, but let's be clear about it and, and, and you know, admit we are not family. It's a business. You're okay with screwing over your fans for a, for a dollar today, and that's really what they're doing. No, it's really a shame. And, you know, the day that Messi will officially retire from the game completely and then all of a sudden he lowers the ticket prices back to maybe the incrementals if he doesn't, you know, lower them now. I mean, how much of the fan base will he lose? Yeah, he's definitely going to lose some. But they, they have this attitude that we have a long list of people waiting in line to take your seats. So they have, they have a lot of people that signed up for potential season tickets. But those, also, those people that, you know, got in line, they got in that line before they saw these, these prices. I don't know how many of those people that are getting out of the line, how many people are really lined up. And, 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 you know, I think here's the thing. I think they will sell well while Messi's here. But, again, what happens when he leaves? And when was the last time you saw a price really go down? They may come down a little bit, but, you know, gas prices, they go down, but they never have gone down to the prices I remember back when I was in high school, right? They're not going to go down to where they really should belong. They're always going to be over, over uh, charging for these tickets from here on out. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it is a little bit crazy. They're, they're going to lose fans. They're going to lose the people that just can't afford I know stuff, a, a few guys that are they're teachers. And on a teacher's salary, they just can't do it. They're like, well, I'll just get the Apple TV and I'll, and I'll cheer from, from home. It's kind of like I, I relate it to – I like football and football, so I like the Miami Dolphins and Inter-Miami. I don't go to Dolphins games because I think those tickets are too expensive. I watch it on TV. I'm not as invested because all I do is watch it on TV. I'm way more invested in Inter-Miami because I'm there. I live it. I breathe it. I buy all the, the merchandise. And I don't feel that way about the Dolphins. Sure, I want them to win, and I'll catch a game here and there. So if you if you if people just start going becoming TV fans, they're less involved. You know, soon little by little, it's not as important to them, and you lose them. That's right, and that that cannot happen. And and really, the Moss the Moss family. I mean, they got to really go back to the drawing board, and really think about what they're doing. And I agree with you. Look. Is there going to be an increase? Absolutely, but not at the level that they're just they just threw out at you guys yeah. like that. That's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a you know it, it's a shock. Like I said, we all expected it, but didn't expect it to be that high. So you know, and like I said, I know several people that have that are saying forget it. Here's an interesting thing too: the supporters clubs were were going to 
you know, word got out that they were in the last game, they were going to protest in some form or fashion. And the team found out. Team asked them, don't protest. We want to meet with you. Oh, and by the way, we're going to give you a bunch of uh, signed merchandise and, and things like that. So they had them out on the field. The last game was kind of like our, our fan event. They had all the supporters clubs out on the field. They gave them jerseys. It was a nice show and tell. But it also showed a message of a supporters group that backed down to ownership and were bought off by some free jerseys. And it looked terrible. So they, they did not do their protest. And they're supposed to be the voice of the fans. It was their opportunity to show their displeasure. And in reality, they buckled. And, you know, hopefully they, they do somehow get some sort of discount at least for the supporters clubs. You know, the, the, you know, to bring the noise and bring the sound. It'd be great if it happens for everybody because, you know, heck, my seats are way more expensive than supporters club. But I get it. Supporters club bring the atmosphere, so let's give them the discount. But as of this point, we've heard that that is not necessarily going to happen. They do want to meet with them. But, but optics are terrible right now. You know, supporters clubs look like they were bought off by, by uh, management. Yep, that's that's the whole shame of the whole situation. Peter, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully the Mosses will understand this and uh, things will change around before the season ends. And uh, But good luck. Uh, obviously, uh, it stinks no postseason, but you got the Champions Cup next year and a brand new year and a full year with Messi, so that's always going to be a positive. Oh, it's going to be fun regardless. And, and having said everything I said, I renewed. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Thank, thanks again, Peter. Have a good night. All right. Thanks for having me. And once again, that's Peter Brown from Football Miami TV. As uh, look, he's got valid points. And yeah, look, he, he you know, he uh, he renewed his season tickets. But what are you going to do? Look, he loves the club, and uh, and he wants to see them do well, and he wants to go to the games. And I don't blame him. And uh, hopefully. Uh, the mosses will uh, change their tune, and I'm not saying you can't have increases, but don't make it so it's so extreme. And once again, you know the facility is only temporary until they finally build their downtown stadium uh, in downtown Miami at Miami Park. So, and that won't be too far away from their Miami International Airport. So, uh, all I can say is, is for them to just fix the situation, and hopefully. Hopefully, they can go out there and change things up and uh, be more ready for 2024. Now, of course, there was a stacking by uh, Minnesota United FC as Adrian Heath is no longer with the club as their head coach. And to talk about that is uh, another recorded interview, of course, my good friend Bruce McGuire of the Nord as he gives me his thoughts on this recorded interview. Daniel Feuerstein once again here on the American Soccer Show as we talk about the latest news that's been happening in Major League Soccer. And unfortunately for Adrian Heath, his days are done as the head coach of Minnesota United FC. Talking about that situation is my good friend of the Denord website podcast, the one and only Bruce McGuire. Bruce, um, I mean, look... I know Adrian's been around for a long time in MLS, came up through Orlando, they let him go, and then Minnesota took him in, and it just looks like, to me, they had enough, and it was time for him to move on. Yeah, I think one of the words that they used was plateau, and, and that they didn't see any change in the last three years. And that was why they decided it was time for a change. Absolutely. From what you've seen on the pitch at Allianz Field, um, what were the significant worries you had with Hadrian Heath's system, tactics, formations? I mean, obviously you've had some solid players, but where did you see it finally falling apart? I mean, none of those things really changed much over the seven seasons that he was in charge of the team. It was pretty much a 4-2-3-1. Every once in a while there'd be little tweaks, but generally speaking, it was the same. And the thing that didn't really seem to work, and this happened several years, was he's not a big believer in rotation, not a big believer in substitutions during the game, and 
the players would tend to get run into the ground. And then it would be almost a drastic change because he didn't have a lot of players that had a lot of minutes. And so whenever he had to make a substitution or a change in the lineup, it was always somebody with so much less experience with the other players during games. And, and I just don't think either one of those things work. I think in the modern game you need to rotate players, and I think that you need to give players breaks. And those things all come about through leadership and a mentality that this season in particular, the, the mental focus of the team had really taken a step backwards. And you could really see it in the home games for some reason. Um, they, they were last in the league in home wins, but third in the league in road wins. And you don't, you don't see that very often. That's a rarity. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I don't know beyond a, a certain kind of focus or a certain kind of... Uh, I don't even, uh, sometimes I have problems even coming up with the words, but the team would just mentally and physically fade in so many games this year. And that's, that comes down to me from the top. Yeah, no, I absolutely, I agree. And it looks like they had enough. Let me ask you this. And I mean, I don't want to heavily criticize uh, Adrian Heath, but if, if I can just maybe go towards this direction do you think he's an old-time manager, well, basically back in the old days, even like in baseball, even today in baseball? You know, you stick with your starting your starting lineup, same players in and out. You know, you never give them a they, – they never had a rest back in the 30s or 40s. It's always be the same players. Occasionally you have other people there once in a while as pinch hitters or pinch runners. But do you think that was the biggest detriment of all, like you just said, he would never make changes? Like he just stuck to his guns to maybe the – old-fashioned ways of coaching football back in the day that he just kept with it being in today's footballing uh, prowess? I mean, I, I don't really know. I, I I don't have enough history with the game to, to really be able to answer that. I think if maybe I grew up in a, in a different country, I would have been enveloped in it at a much earlier age. And, and be able to see those things. But what I would see was a, a stubbornness. And I don't know if that's old-fashioned or not, but it, it was a an unwillingness to have flexibility. And it, and it was almost a gesture towards critics of, no, I'm not going to change, and anything you say isn't going to make me change. And I find that to be such a weird philosophy, um, to be that stubborn. Um, you know, a good sign of it was late here in the season, they had brought in a young left fullback from England, and he had, he had come from the fourth division over there, League Two. And Adrian Heath had started putting him in games, and he just he clearly wasn't at the level. It was very obvious from the start. And as each game went on, he wasn't improving. And I think he actually started going backwards because things started getting so bad. And then he started him four or five games in a row. And in one of those, he got a red card. And it was because he was just constantly out of place and reaching and grabbing and, um, you know, really silly mistakes. And they just weren't getting better and weren't getting better. And yet Adrian Heath just stuck with him game after game after game. And no one could figure out why. It was, it was even, you know, the newspapers here were writing about it. Like, what is this about? And it was that, that kind of stubbornness that I think in the end caused, caused the team to, to, to fire him with two games left in the season. I mean, who does that when you still have a chance to make the playoffs and, and, and you got two games left and you fire the coach on a Friday morning? Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe they feel like the two games remaining, you know, they still have a fighting chance to have somebody else running the club in an interim level, maybe to get that last gasp moment before you get to decision day uh, next weekend. 
because obviously you're playing during the international break. But when you see, I mean, look, when when you have a result like what Minnesota did to the LA Galaxy, and when you have Timu Puki, who puts in four goals, and to me, I mean, it, to me, it just feels like it's a sigh of relief from the players that maybe, you know, finally they could breathe. They can feel like they don't have to be on pins and needles and they're able to let it all out, break out, and they just eliminate the Galaxy from the playoffs at the same time after, of course, Adrian Heath gets sacked. Well, I, I don't know uh, because even when guys were making horrible mistakes, they were staying in the lineup. So I don't know if there was pins and needles. I, I I think it was a lack of conviction more than that. I don't think anyone was afraid of what was happening uh, or, or you know, uh, I think it was too easy. I think it was too uh, – I wish I had some better words for you tonight, Daniel. It's terrible. <laughs> um, oh, and to correct one thing, they're not playing this weekend. Oh, okay. During the international break. They play on the 21st. So that'll be their last game then of the season. Okay. Yeah, the 21st. There's only a couple teams playing this weekend, luckily. Okay. But, but you know, your point still is the same in that they saw a chance to, to maybe not make the playoffs, but just to put a, a better ending on this season, to put a smile on some people's faces I there's a lot of people speculated that they fired him on Friday because last Saturday was Fan Appreciation Day at Allianz Field. And the two previous home games, the team walked off the field to a good portion of the stadium booing. And I don't think they wanted to do that again. I don't think the ownership wanted to see that again. Because they weren't booing the opponent. They weren't booing the referees. They were pretty much booing Adrian Heath. And... I guess people had just kind of come to the end. It looks like it. And when uh, the member of that front office uh, comes out and, you know, makes that announcement to the Minnesota soccer media to tell everyone what the situation is, um, what was that relief for you and I guess every other Minnesota United supporter out there that was like, finally, something's being done because we can't take this anymore? had his backers amongst the fans. There was people very much liked him. Um, I, I was against the hire from before it even happened. Well, when the rumor started eight years ago that he was going to be the, the coach, I was very much against it. So I've never been on his side of the fence from the start. But on the other hand, it's not personal. It's professional that I, I'm not a fan. And you know, there's there's plenty of people out there that were screaming bloody murder. I've never been one of those people. I point out the criticisms and I let them speak for themselves. And I think, as anybody who's been fired from a job that they love, they don't want to see anybody else have to go through that. I just wanted him to get better. I wanted him to see the errors that were being consistently made and make corrections, make adjustments. Um, if that meant bringing in new assistant coaches or different things like that, you know, I would be encouraged. But, you know, he's had control of the team now for four years because he's, you know, he's above the general manager and he's the head coach. So he has all say in the roster and the game day situation. So there's really no one else to blame in the end. It, it's on him. And the one thing that surprised me is there's been no statement or anything from him uh, since last Friday. And I had expected to hear something over the weekend, but there's been nothing from him. Well, probably he's he felt his time is done and he's ready to move on and maybe he's just going to uh, try and find another job or maybe ride off into the sunset. We'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, who would you like to see uh, come in and manage Minnesota United FC for next season? Obviously, there's still some pretty good candidates who have been recently sacked. Obviously, Robin Frazier is definitely a name. I would think it's still uh, 
big in circles, obviously. Um, I mean, there are probably other names out there maybe you want to see, or maybe do you feel comfortable with uh, someone from, uh, if you do have a Minnesota United 2 head coach, maybe gets an opportunity, or a member of the coaching staff gets an opportunity? Who would you like to see? You know, I, I don't really know. I, I tend to sit back and kind of wait on these things. I've, I've been pretty adamant, though, in saying that they really need to start above the head coach and get some really good hires in that have a really good vision because Mark Watson, the GM, was also fired last Friday. Mm-hmm. And, and so with Heath being the technical director and the head coach and Mark Watson being the general manager, they really lost three positions last Friday. Yeah. And and I just don't think you can even start thinking about a head coach until you have filled those other two roles and let those people go out and do their hire because no one wants to, you know, no no one wants to take the head coach job today and then have a technical director hired next week that they don't see eye to eye. You, you need to do it the other way around. And so I'm not really in any hurry, although I'd love to know that they have a plan and that they're you know, already close to, to having some things ready to roll. But I don't know that. I've heard no rumors at all. So as far as who I'd like to see as head coach, I, I'm, I'm really wide open. I, I don't have a anything specific I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I mean, we'll see what happens. Just change is change. Exactly. exactly. It might be worse a year from now. You know? Yep. There's no way to know. Never. 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 Absolutely. Oh, you're absolutely right there, Bruce. I'll tell you right now. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what ownership will do and uh, who will fill in those positions. And hopefully it will be three separate people for three separate positions because I'll be honest with you, I've never been a fan of one man running two positions at the same time, even though some might do it better than others. But still, though, I'm not a fan of having one person being head coach and sporting director at the same time. I, I think it's a waste. I think it it it, it, hurt, it harms the, the club more than it helps. Well, because to me, one is long-term and one is short-term, and you got to have both. And, and I don't know if the person who's in charge of short-term has enough time in the day to, to worry about the long-term. That's so right. I, I don't see that kind of thing working. You know, going back also to just the firing last Friday and, and having the one final home game on Saturday – and then they, they just blew out the Galaxy. It, it was not even immediately as close as the score was. It left people here with a huge smile on their face and a sigh of relief and a, okay, I'm ready for next year now, as opposed to people were just fed up. A, la- a large portion, not everybody. Like I said, there were still plenty of, of supporters for Adrian Heath. Um, but, but there was a there was a... A real step in a real step in people after that game ended. A real lightness. A real, you know, not not quite celebratory because they're still in eleventh place. But there was a relief, uh, a sense of okay, we're, we're, we've taken a step in the right direction. There you go. That's, and that's pretty. It's a good way to end a season. Yes, it is, and that's all you want. You know, have at least a positive look into next year and see what they're going to do to help the club be back where they should belong. Absolutely. Bruce, thank you very much. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say they've got plenty of pieces to build up. They really do. Absolutely. But anyway, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Uh, Thanks again for uh, talking about this situation and good luck uh, with the final match of the season and uh, good luck with the off season. Always great to talk to you, Daniel. Thank you. Once again, Bruce McGuire from Denor joining me tonight and talking about the situation. Once again, Adrian Heath sacked by Minnesota United FC as they will now look for a brand new head coach, brand new sporting director, and a brand new general manager. So we'll have to wait and see what Minnesota United will do once decision day is all over and done. Or can they actually make the playoffs? It's going to be tight. Final game of the regular season. We'll see what the situation will be uh, for Minnesota United. Uh, Some USL news to share with everyone. Obviously, in USL League One, Lexington SC 
finally broke ground as they will now construct their brand new soccer stadium. Obviously, sporting director Sam Stockley, uh, very happy about it. Uh, had a quick chat with him off the air last night, congratulating him and the club. Finally, another stadium built not just for the supporters of Lexington SC, not just for the club, not just for USL League One or the USL altogether, but for all of us to grow this sport the proper way. As I have continued to say, the only way this situation of promotion relegation truly comes into play properly the infrastructure of stadiums in our leagues must be first and foremost before we can ever ev- you know evolve into that we must build stadiums the infrastructure must continue to be built for these teams below major league soccer so they can thrive and survive and be financially whole. And another positive note, once again, Orange County SC, in a 10-year agreement with the city of Irvine, they will call Championship Soccer Stadium their home. Dan Rutstein, the president of the club, took to X slash Twitter to inform the Orange County supporters of the monumental achievement they have made to stay another 10 years at Championship Soccer Stadium at the Sportsplex in Irvine, California, with the agreement with the Irvine City Council. Congratulations to Orange County SC. Congratulations to all Orange County supporters. You are going to be there for the next 10 years. And my hope... To be fair and honest, my hope is that while they will remain at Championship Soccer Stadium, Orange County can start to create and plan an idea to build soccer-specific stadium of their own so that when the 10 years are up and over at Championship Soccer Stadium, they can move that club into a permanent home where they control the venue, they control the ticket prices, the merchandise, the food, the beverage, afternoon matches, evening matches, whatever have you. My hope is that they can be that beacon of positivity for themselves, supporters, the community, for the United Soccer Leagues, and for all of us that support this game from start to finish. And now, the New York Red Bulls review as the New York Red Bulls defeat Toronto FC by a final of three goals to nil. Now, obviously, this had to be a win. Without a doubt, it had to be a win, even if it is on fan appreciation night. Now, let me just say this. To have John Herdman in the building as their new head coach, but did not place himself inside the technical area, allowing his assistant to continue on with it. Very interesting to see and very, very interesting that he took a look from afar. So I guess he's just going to let the assistant run the club all the way to the end, and then he'll take over during the off season. But I bet you he'll make a lot of changes. I will say this: I'm because I I saw him in the bowels of Red Bull Arena as we were waiting to get to the uh, press conference room to talk to Troy Lassane. I thought he'd be taller. That's kind of funny with the cameras. I thought he'd be a lot taller. He's not small. He's not short, but I think he's a little shorter than I am. 
I mean, I'm five foot. I mean, I'm five ten and a half. I think he's probably five eight, five nine. I could be wrong, but uh, a bit smaller than I thought. Anyways, you know, Toronto FC. They tried their best to uh, play in front of him, even though he was like I said, he was up in the luxury box, not down below in the technical area. So just to observe from above. And even though they tried to play hard in front of their coach, unfortunately, once again, they just could not do whatever they could to give the Red Bulls a game. They could not look dangerous. In fact, they were never even dangerous to begin with. I mean, they had maybe one or two three or four forays into the Red Bulls' side of the field. But nothing really threat corner or two, but still nothing suggesting that they were threatening to put the ball in the back of the net. And when Elise Manuel stripped the ball off of Michael Bradley, that, let me just say, I'm, I'm very shocked he's playing as a center back these days. I really am very, very shocked he's playing as a center back because, I mean, look, regardless of what he's done with the U.S. men's national team, uh, when they were eliminated from World Cup qualifying down in Trinidad, he's still a, you know, I like to think he's still a a top-notch player. I would rather have him in the midfield. I, I don't really want him to be as a center back, unless that's where he wants to be himself. I think it's not. I, I just don't think that's his position. He's a midfielder. I think he's more of an attacking, creative midfielder than a bring the ball up type of midfielder because he can still score. But if he feels He's more of a defending player than let him stay where he wants to be. That's just my personal opinion. But once again, Elise Manuel stripping the ball off of Michael Bradley, saw Tom Barlow make a run, fantastic pass, and fantastic goal by Tom Barlow in the final minute of regulation in the first half before getting into stoppage time to make it 1-0 Red Bulls. And credit to them for going to the locker room, not feeling happy, not feeling satisfied. They got to keep working. They got to keep pushing. They got to keep going. And then Lukinas, who's had an off season, really not a good season this year, gets a brace right away. Three minutes later after the restart, twists his body, slots that ball perfectly into the back, inside the back posts to make it 2-0. And then an excellent cross pass, give him that opportunity for the brace, made it 3-0, and the New York Rebels were off and running. They are on a two-match winning streak for the first time in league play because they've had a two-match winning streak in all competitions from the Open Cup match into the NYCFC match after they defeated DC United in the Open Cup. And Can they pull it off? They are just below the playoff line with 40 points. Just below the playoff line. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a big opportunity now for the New York Red Bulls to make the playoffs here, depending on how certain things go. Now, before we even get to the meat, the potatoes, of the final game of the regular season. Let's go to the schedule right now in MLS. Because in midweek action on Wednesday, October the 18th, the makeup match as Miami will host Charlotte FC at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then, of course, they go back to Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium 
these two teams. Six points are on the line here. And the truth is, can Charlotte drop points? Can Miami find a way to knock off Charlotte down in Florida on Wednesday, October 18th? Because if they do, that's a big help for the Red Bulls. And then maybe get a draw down in Charlotte, that would be another big help for the Red Bulls. Then you have the Columbus crew hosting Montreal Comfield at 6 o'clock. All the Eastern Conference games will be at 6 o'clock on Saturday, October 21st. Nashville will host the Red Bulls. So, and another fun thing to know, D.C. United is officially eliminated from the playoffs because they will not be playing on decision day. So, that is also interesting. And at the same time, Chicago will be playing against New York City FC. So, Depending on what happens there, first things first, the New York Red Bulls must win in Nashville. You win in Nashville, you have 43 points. Montreal loses or draws to Columbus. They go down to ninth or they get knocked down to tenth. So depending on what happens in those two games with the Red Bulls and Montreal, that's very important because if Chicago loses to New York City FC, and once again, New York Red Bulls win, and New York City FC wins, New York City FC gets 41 points. They might be in ninth. If the Red Bulls win, they'll be in eighth. Chicago, we'll see what they do against New York City FC because that's going to be big. If it's a draw between Chicago and New York City FC, that will complicate things. If it's a draw between the Red Bulls and Nashville, that can still be a lifeline because, once again, D.C. United will be knocked out. Of the ninth position, but once again, the match with Chicago and New York City FC will still be involved if certain things do not go the Red Bulls' way. So, at this point in time, will Messi be playing the two games remaining, or at least one of the two games remaining, against Charlotte? Because he will be away for Argentina for World Cup qualifying in South America. That is the big thing right there. At this point in time, playoff destiny is in the hands of the New York Red Bulls. And so far, Troy Lesane has gotten them to this point. Everything will come together or fall apart at Jodas Park in Nashville, Tennessee for this club. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. But I'm telling you right now, folks, the New York Red Bulls have their playoff destiny in their hands. But once again, once again, certain things need to go their way. At the moment, Charlotte in 12th place, 39 points with a match in hand. 11th place and 10th place, Chicago with 40 points, New York Rebels with 40 points. D.C. United in 9th place with 40 points as well, but once again, they will not be playing on the last day of the regular season. They are eliminated automatically. So no matter what happens, they're done. They're dead. It's over with. And the Montreal, Club de Foot Montreal, right now in 8th with a one-point lead over the bottom, over the next three clubs, and a two-point lead over Charlotte FC. 
You never thought this would be in play. You never thought this would happen. The wild card round is available and up for grabs. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. I want to thank my guests for doing the recorded interviews after the uh, technical issues from last night. I want to thank Peter Brown once again from Football Miami TV. And I want to thank Bruce McGuire from the Denord website and podcast. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me this coming Saturday late afternoon for some international footy. The United States will be taking on the Germany over in West Hartford, Connecticut at the Pratt & Whitney Stadium that hosts the college football team of the University of Connecticut. Joining me will be former Fox Soccer Channel host Christian Miles. And then, of course, the following week, Tuesday, will be a special guest with me to recap the friendly between the United States and Ghana. His name is James Bile, and he is a sports reporter student from the University of Fordham in the Bronx, New York. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for joining me tonight, and thank you for your patience once again after the technical difficulties. Have a good night. Thank you for joining me, and as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long, and have a good night. Bye-bye for now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.